Good morning. Today's reading is from James chapter 5. We will be reading verses 7 through 12. Please hear the word of the Lord. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be your yes, and no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. This concludes the reading of God's word. Lord, would you bless now this preaching of your word? A few uh, weeks ago, I had my biannual visit to the dentist. Any of you really enjoy your biannual visit to the dentist? Hands. No, I know, I'm throwing shade on. Okay, a couple people, there we go. Now the dentist in the room don't have to feel bad. Um, but, but I had a rather painful experience with what my boys call Mr. Thirsty. So that, that's the little suction-y thing that they stick in your mouth so that you don't swallow all the junk that they're spraying on your teeth, right? Mr. Thirsty. You know what I'm talking about? And usually it just sits there and does its job. But, but this time, Mr. Thirsty in my mouth had a mind of its own. And the crazy thing managed to work itself into the back of my mouth, like, like way back here and created this incredibly painful suction on, on a little piece of skin with what felt like the, the force of an intake valve at a water treatment plant. <laughs> so I'm lying in the chair, and, and at the time, I, I didn't feel like I could really say something about it. You know, what with your, your mouth propped open and all those instruments poking in there and water's kind of spraying all over your face and you know what it's like. When I got home and told my wife about this, she said, Matthew, you idiot, you should have just waved your hand or something to get the dentist's attention. And, and she's probably right as usual. But in this case, I tried to do what every good guy does and that's to just fix the problem, right? So, so I tried turning my head to one side, you know, subtly. Let's see if I could make it move as I'm making this thing move. I, tr- I tried lowering my, my chin to my chest. I tried wiggling Mr. Thirsty into a new position after the dentist pulled it out for three glorious seconds and I went, oh, and then he stuck it right back in and it fell down in the same place. And so eventually I just closed my eyes and tried to ignore the pain because I couldn't fix it. And that failed miserably and only made it get worse. Uh, this is the part of the story when you're supposed to feel sorry for me. No, 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 no. We'll talk about that in a second. But, but why do I say this? It's, it's because in that moment, 
I think if one of you had come up to me in the chair and whispered in my ear, Matthew, be patient. I don't think I would have responded very well. I mean, what do you mean, be patient? It feels like this thing is, is slurping up my skin into little bite-sized pieces. Has, has Mr. Thirsty ever tried to do that to you? I don't think so. So stop telling me to be patient because I'm about to go nuts over here and I'm trying not to bite my dentist's hand. And I was thinking about that experience this week and, and reminded again that I have yet to experience anything like the chronic physical suffering that so many folks that I love in this church have gone through, are living through, probably will experience. But I think my run-in with Mr. Thirsty illustrates something that regardless of the kind of suffering or pain you're in, we we can all relate to, I think. And, And that's this, that that when we're suffering, we don't want to be patient, right? What do, what do we want? We, we just want the pain to go away. Just take it away now. Take, take it away yesterday. That, that's all we care about. And, it, and if well-meaning people say things like, well, well, how do you think God wants you to respond right now? What, do, what are you thinking here? I don't care how God wants me to respond right now. I just want the pain to go away. Well, in the first six verses of James 5, we get a glimpse of a pain that was not going away. Because there apparently were a number of poor members of this church James was writing to that were experiencing significant suffering because their employers were cheating them of their wages. As we learned last week, functionally condemning these Christians to starvation and death along with their families. And, and they had no recourse, okay? They, they didn't have the court system or the Better Business Bureau or, you know, sue their pants off or, or call the police. No, they couldn't just switch jobs the way we do. And so I wonder if, if you were living back then, friend, and one of your friends was getting cheated of their wages and, you know, their family was suffering and you know you were suffering too and you had nothing you could give to help and they came to you and said what what would you counsel me to do what would you say i wonder if we would say what james says in verse seven look there be patient therefore brother Be patient. I mean, part of me says, James, you're kidding me, right? Pay patient with the, the sheep blocking my road on the walk home from the fields this week? Sure. Patient with someone robbing me and putting my family in danger of dying? Absolutely not. And by the way, James, while I have your attention, if you tell me to be patient one more time, I'm going to go find another church with another pastor who's a little more empathetic to suffering people like me. 
that's what I would be tempted to say, right? I don't think I'm alone. If you've been with us for more than a few months, you might remember that earlier this year when we were studying the Psalms, we saw that God never says, just trust me, right? He recognizes there are reasons for fear, but then what does the Lord do? He reminds us there are better reasons to trust the Lord. And friends, the same principle is at work in James' exhortation to patience here. He doesn't say, just be patient. What does James do? He gives us in this entire passage sturdy reasons to be patient. So hear the exhortation up front. It's not a complicated one. Brothers, sisters, if you're suffering, be patient. But don't hear, oh, be patient. Yeah, thanks, James. No, slow down, humble yourself, and listen for the reasons, friend. Listen for the reasons. Because in verses 7 to 8, James states his point positively. Okay? Be patient. In verses 9 to 11, he states his point negatively. What's the opposite of patience? Grumbling, complaining. So what's James say? Don't grumble. Don't complain. And then in verse 12, he gives us a further implication. Keep your word. We'll talk about that. But know this up front. As we work through this text, James never ever says just do this or just do that. The Christian thing to do. So I guess I just got to do it. No, no. He gives us reasons to respond this way and not that way when we're suffering. So grateful for that. So so let's look at some of these. What what should we do in the midst of suffering? Point number one, verses seven and eight, we should practice patience because, ready for the reason? The Lord is coming back soon. We should practice patience because, sturdy reason, the Lord is coming back soon. You know, I don't know if you've thought about this, but Please remember, if you haven't before, that the biblical call to patience and suffering is not a summons to resignation like Eeyore and Winnie the Pooh. Right? What would Eeyore and resignation sound like? Oh, well, I guess if I'm going to follow a suffering Savior in this life, my life will be hard too. Tomorrow will probably be worse than today. If I try to do anything to change it, I'll probably just make it even worse. Right? That's Eeyore. That's not what biblical patience sounds like, okay? Nor is the biblical call to patience, please hear this, a command to wait indefinitely. It's not resignation, nor is it a command to wait indefinitely. What, what, what might that sound like? Well, God says all things work together for the good of those who love him, but who knows when and how that's going to happen, so, so I guess I'll just believe it anyway. No. No, look at what James says in verse 1. Look very carefully, friends, because biblical patience has an object. It has a focal point fueling Glad expectation with a definite timeline on that. What what does James say? Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord or until the coming of Jesus Christ. 
Friend, when Jesus Christ comes back, because he's coming back, to reward the righteous, amen, Karin, and to punish the wicked, and to make all things new, that that's not just like, oh, well, that's interesting, duly noted, the next event in the story of redemption. It is. Do you know what else it is? The coming of Jesus Christ is high-octane fuel for your patience. Why? Because Christ's return guarantees something, friend. For all who follow him, it guarantees the personal and collective vindication and healing of the people of God. Personal and collective vindication and healing of the people of God. Listen to Revelation 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. It's Jesus. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Vindication. Revelation 21 verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And and God himself will be with them as their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things have have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, hear this, behold, I am making all things new. Is your name in that, friend? (laughs) By the grace of God, that can be your experience. But you are not the one who makes all things new. You're not. Who does that? Jesus does, right? Jesus does. When someone sins against you, what do you feel? What do we feel? You know, when you run smack into the wall of of chronic illness or broken relationships or sexual abuse or racism or or premature death, what, what do we long for? We long for justice, right? We long for deliverance. We, we long for healing. We, we long for someone, somewhere to make that stop or to make them pay. And preferably both. <laughs> and in that moment, when we feel like taking matters into our own hands or retaliating against our enemies or doing, doing whatever it takes to just escape the pain regardless of the consequences, friend, The Lord Jesus, your God and King, has three words to say to you. Three words. Wait for me. Wait for me. That that doesn't mean that we fail to work for justice. In obedience to God's commands. It does mean that we stop striving to make every wrong right now. 
and we start trusting Jesus to make every wrong right on that day. That's what it means. It's his job to make all things new, and it's our job to wait for him. And so, this is really practical. When your boss gives you an unfair evaluation, don't file suit against every person in sight, right? What do you do? Wait for Jesus. When your siblings whisper lies behind your back, don't don't launch a reputation campaign. Wait for Jesus. When your spouse hurts you for the upteenth time, don't, don't give them a taste of your own medicine or decide, okay, I'm done, right? Ready? Watch this. Ring, gone. No, wait for Jesus. When the doctor says, again, I don't know why you're still sick. Wait for Jesus. When people in the church disappoint you, don't run away from his blood-bought bride. Wait for Jesus. Be patient. Because patience and suffering isn't our last resort as Christians. When all other attempts to work change have failed, patience is our first response as Christians. Because absent that attitude of heart, we are utterly incapable of navigating suffering in a way that is pleasing to God. You know, I was thinking about the first time that I planted seeds, like garden seeds. We're so disconnected from how our food shows up. It's like, oh, I thought it came from Kroger. Well, yeah, eventually. But it first involved farming. I was planting seeds with my boys for the first time a couple years ago, and I, and I helped them to push that little cucumber seed in the ground, showed them how to pour just the right amount of water on it. You know, don't dump the thing and, oh, there goes the seed. No, gentle, gentle. And, and then I placed the tray under the plant light in our garage, put the kids to bed. And I remember the very next morning, one of my little guys woke up and found me. And you know what the first words out of his mouth were? He's like, dad, has my cucumber come up yet? <laughs> I was like, buddy, we just planted the seed last night. Oh, you know, and I realized, okay, we've got a lot to learn here. We need to learn that farming takes patience. Takes patience. There, there are biological processes that have to go down that are completely outside my control. And you know, if you lived in the first century when James was writing this letter and you were in Palestine, you had even less control over your farming than we do today, right? Because they didn't have you know, automated irrigation pumps. They, they were completely dependent on receiving the early rains just after sowing and the late rains just before harvest. And it's interesting, the Old Testament prophets repeatedly use both the, the early and the late rains as illustrations of dependence on the faithfulness of God. It's a picture of depending on God to do what only God can do. And and friends, like a wise farmer, that's what we have to do in suffering. We We have to fix our eyes on the day of Christ's return in the midst of our suffering and be patient. 
Because if you're a Christian, know this, the sorrow that fills your heart to overflowing right now isn't going to have the final word. So strengthen your heart, as James says. Okay, stand firm in the promise that Jesus is coming soon. Patience isn't a sign that you don't care about your present sorrows. It is a loud statement, a loud expression of trust that you know the vindication and the healing you ultimately need is something God alone can provide. That's what patience is. But I can hear the objection, you know? If you've lived long enough, you've probably heard this. Matthew, God's people, you Christians, have been waiting for over 2,000 years. Why'd you have to bring that up? Awkward. And Matthew, I've been waiting for 20-some years, and my sister still hasn't said sorry. And my boss still hasn't said I was wrong. And my spouse still hasn't said will you forgive me? And my doctor still hasn't said, we've figured out the problem. So pastor, why is God taking so long? Second Peter 3.8 But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. That with the Lord, one day... Is this a thousand years? A thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, think you and me, but is patient towards you. Do you realize the theory? <laughs> The very thing that we point to and say, see, that's proof you don't care, God. God says, to the contrary, I'm waiting because I do care. Because I'm more patient than you are. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So what do we do, church, in the midst of all of our suffering? What's our first response? Practice patient. Because the Lord Jesus is coming back soon. Here's the second, okay? We practice patience. Second, same thing from the other side, right? Put off grumbling. Just do it. No, sturdy reason, because the Lord's purpose will prevail. Put off grumbling because the Lord's purpose will prevail. Look in here, verses 9 to 11. Now, let, let me just illustrate this from those of you who are in the construction business. When, when you buy a piece of property with a decrepit building on it, or maybe your company picks up some land and you've got a fallen apart something on it. What do you have to do before you can begin new construction? Well, and there's a whole industry for this, right? You got to bring in the demo guys, right? You've got to demolish something. Well, you realize that our hearts work the same way spiritually. Before we can put on patience, there's something we have to put off first. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. So what, what do we have to put off? What does he say in verse 9? Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. I mean, I, I think it's really easy 
to grumble and complain, right? I mean, when somebody's annoying us or, or hurting us or, or just being difficult, maybe, maybe you're street smart enough to not, you know, retaliate directly. Well, back at you. I mean, maybe you have, but don't tell me that. But, but, but I think more of us are prone to, you know, snag a friend or maybe snag all our friends on social media, our friends, and say, I just don't understand why people think behavior fill-in-the-blank is okay. I mean, do they understand how hurtful that is? Crazy! Maybe you even go in for the kill and actually use their name. Well, think about what we're chasing when we do that. I mean, whether it's in person or online, right? Same thing. I think we're looking for a a combination of of affirmation and sympathy. We we want people to validate our assessment of the situation and, and agree that we're right and they're wrong, which makes us king of what hill? The victim hill, right? Because that's the moral high ground in our society. We, we want all our friends to side with us against the bad people, whether the bad people are, you know, our unreasonable spouse or the other political party. So, so why is grumbling and complaining like that about other people always wrong? Always. Regardless of the circumstances. Well, friend, it's, it's because of this. Whenever we grumble and complain, whenever you do that, we are trying to do God's job for him. Think about that, okay? We're, we're posturing ourselves as the authoritative judge of that person's life. When the true judge, Jesus, is actually what? Standing at the door, James says. About to walk in the courtroom. It's as if we're waiting in court and we say, you know what? I just don't think he's going to show up. So we, so we kind of shove the bailiff aside and we walk up there and, and I sit on the, you know, hereby call this court to order, guilty, you know? And the true judge was, he's just about to walk in. Friends, Jesus doesn't look kindly on pretend judges. If you decide he's taken too long and start, and start denigrating or condemning other people, especially in the public square, guess what's going to happen when he returns and walks in that courtroom? You will not find yourself in the gallery. You will find yourself on the stand. Condemned by Jesus for the way you condemned people. And, and the problem, please hear this, because I can just say, well, Matthew, are you saying? I'm not. Listen. The problem isn't making moral assessments of what other people are saying or doing. What's that called? Biblical discernment. The problem is that instead of patiently waiting for God to vindicate us or confirm our assessment of the situation, we take matters into our own hands and start what? Berating, accusing, complaining, tearing down the people who hurt us in the ears of of all who will listen. And so we turn our office at work into a personal courtroom. We turn our home into a courtroom. We turn the church into a courtroom. You know what we're really good at doing? Turning the entire world wide web into a courtroom. Friends, Jesus is the judge. 
and you're not. That's the point. <laughs> and I don't care how many other people are grumbling and complaining. You're, you're a Christian. Okay, that means you march to the beat of a different drummer. You're, you're a follower of Christ. And a few, my friend, are, are, are just as vitriolic or spiteful or grumbling and complaining like, like, like everyone else with, with what you say in person or say online in the name of standing up for what is right. You know what's going to happen to all the people around you? They're going to start to wonder if the judge you claim to follow is actually worth waiting for. Or maybe he's not. Because from your behavior, it seems we should just fight this out on our own. But if you refuse to do that, you say, I'm not going to try to do God's job for him. If you refuse to grumble and complain, personally or privately, when you are hurt or oppressed, I promise you this, you will be sorely misunderstood. Because people will think you're not sufficiently angry. Or people will think you don't really understand how you've been wronged. Or, or, or people will think you're not standing up for yourself. And friend, in that moment, do this. Let Jesus take care of them. Don't trouble yourself with them. Because patience isn't passivity. It's not the do-nothing option. It, waiting for Jesus is the most difficult response you could choose. Don't tell me it's the do-nothing option. It's exceedingly active and volitional. And furthermore, it is a powerful witness to the trustworthiness of the king and judge you claim to be following. Your patience and suffering might be the most powerful testimony God ever gives you to the existence and trustworthiness of your God. And there are two examples from the Old Testament. Man, we could camp out here. <laughs> two examples in verses 10 through 11 that show us what that sort of steadfastness looks like in action. Okay, we need examples, right? Okay, I get it, Matthew, this feels really hard, so can I have an example? Sure. What's this look like in action? Well, we'll think about how the prophets in the Old Testament illustrated through their life the truth of their message. You know, you've got men like Jeremiah who were horribly mistreated by their fellow Israelites, despised and hated for what the Lord told them to do. Do you know if you read the book of Jeremiah, it seems over the course of a 40 plus year ministry, he, ever, he had only two converts. That's tough. And yet, the prophets remained patient. Obeying God made things harder, not easier. So, so were they perfect? No, think Jonah. But were they faithful by the grace of God? Yes. Jeremiah was faithful. They didn't major on grumbling and complaining, asserting their own authority or their own name. What did they do? They spoke, what does James say? In the name of the Lord. They used all their words to point to the true judge and testify to his supremacy. Or, or think about the life of Job, right? Example number two. What? what it's a complicated one, but what's the essence of that? Well, Job refused to stop trusting the goodness and righteousness of God. Even 
when it heightened the confusion and pain he was experiencing in his suffering. So his wife says, hey, Job, I got one thing to say to you. You should curse God and die. But Job refused. What did he do? He poured out his anguished soul to the Lord in prayer with perfection. No. Faithfully, yeah. And what happened in the end after the Lord graciously exposed his pride and kindly taught him that the ways of God are higher than his own. Job 42 verse 10. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. What, what does that prove, friend? What's the point of that illustration? Well, it's, it's that even when God's purposes defy our feeble understanding they will ultimately prove to be exceedingly good. Or as James says in verse 11, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Friend, God God isn't compassionate and merciful to his suffering people despite their suffering, okay? God is compassionate and merciful to his people. He he fulfills his compassionate and merciful purposes for our life through our suffering. Think about that. His his good purposes prevailed in suffering for the prophets. His good purposes prevailed through suffering for Job. And his good purposes will prevail through your own suffering if you're willing to patiently trust and wait for him. So, so put off grumbling, put off complaining, not, not just to avoid Christ's judgment, but so that you can see the good purposes of the Lord prevail in your life. That's the second thing we do. Here's the final way we respond. Verse 12, keep your word because the Lord keeps his. Keep your word because the Lord keeps his. Be patient, practice patience, Put off grumbling and keep your word. Reason? Because the Lord keeps his. Now, now, reading this and even studying this this week, I I thought, oh gosh, this doesn't seem connected at all. (laughs) I mean, he's talking about suffering and then he's like, hey, and you over there swearing, stop it. Connection? Maybe? Because at first, this might just seem to be a, a strong admonition against casually swearing oaths to, to somehow add integrity to our words. And, and I think the main point here is simple enough, right? The main point, don't swear by something outside of yourself to make people believe you. So, so don't say, I swear to God I'm telling the truth. As if adding God into that sentence makes you more believable. <laughs> okay, let what? Your yes be yes, and your no, no. If, if you make a promise to someone, keep it. If you make a commitment to somebody, honor it. Don't, don't, don't create some sort of hierarchy where a simple yes carries less weight than a yes accompanied by an oath. And, hear this, don't look for reasons to get out of what you said you would do. You know, well, well I know I said yes, but I can change my mind because I didn't swear by heaven. 
To which James says, nonsense, okay, nonsense. As Jesus urges us in Matthew 5, practice honesty and be faithful with your words. Why? Because liars are one of the groups whom Christ will condemn at the final judgment. That's a promise God will not fail to keep, so take care to keep yours. But that point is more connected to our response to suffering than we might realize, friends. Have you ever been in a situation where you made a promise or a commitment to someone, but as the deadline approached or the evening arrived, you realized, oh, I think there's a more pleasant opportunity over here. And I think if I do what I said I would do, my life will feel harder, not easier. And I'm afraid I'm going to experience some suffering if I follow through So let me see if there's a way I can back out. I could preach a whole sermon on this, but but I think part of the reason our culture is so averse to making and keeping commitments, even as Christians, is that keeping our options open gives us a sense of control over our suffering. You know, why, why should I bother keeping my word? if it makes my life harder, not easier. Whether I said yes to something formal like a marriage vow or something informal like an RSVP to a friend. That makes my life harder. It leads to suffering. Well, why not just back out? Duh. Well, the biblical answer to why stay the course and be faithful to your word includes avoiding the judgment of God, which James refers to, verse 12, but it ultimately goes back. Please hear this, friend, to the promise in verse 11 that the Lord's good purposes in our life cannot be thwarted by suffering and will actually be accomplished through suffering. And you know what that suffering includes? That includes the suffering you experience by keeping your word. That's the connection. So if you make a commitment, keep it. If you make a promise, do it. Don't don't try to keep your options open to avoid suffering. Be faithful to your word, friend. Even if it costs you something, because the Lord will be faithful to his. You know, James opened his letter by, by raising our eyes to behold the good work God accomplishes through our suffering. And as he prepares to close, he he goes right back there to our suffering on the same theme, except this time he focuses on our response. And so he says, since Jesus is coming back soon, and since Jesus is compassionate and merciful in all his ways, how should we respond to the judge of all the earth in our suffering? We should be patient and faithful. That's the main point, okay? In the midst of suffering, be what? Be patient and And be faithful just because. No, because we know something. Sturdy reason. We know that the judge of all will bring his good purposes to pass. That's why we be patient and be faithful. That is never going to be easy, friends. I don't think I need to tell you that. But on the final day, when you see your king face to face, I will tell you this. You will not regret the choice you made to wait for his vindication and to stop trying to do his job for him by grumbling and complaining and to keep your word. Even if it costs you something, 
The question is not, will God's compassionate and merciful purposes prevail in the life of his people? The question, friends, is, are we willing to wait so that we can actually see them? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need your help. Big time. (laughs) Big time, because whether it's Mr. Thirsty, we're a marital affair. And all the different kinds of suffering that fall between. Our first response is so often to grumble and complain, Lord. If not to other people, to to you in the quiet of our mind and heart. And so we pray right now for your forgiveness. And we ask that you would make us a people who speak loudly of the trustworthiness of the coming judge through our patience and our faithfulness. Holy Spirit, help us to wait in Jesus' name. Amen.